So before we turn to the lesson for today from Matthew, I want to just describe a little bit more about the godly play storytelling curriculum that I mentioned with the children. This is a curriculum that uses careful and deliberate storytelling and pacing in order to engage the minds and the hearts and the imaginations of children or young people, whomever might be listening. It takes uh, characters in three-dimensional and flat felt surfaces. It lays out a story. It asks questions that do not have a right or wrong answer. And in, in that way, encourages children to place themselves in the middle of the story. It's a curriculum that we have actually used at adult Sunday school last fall, and I have had the joy of using it with a number of chaplains at a pediatric hospital. So it should not be limited to just young ears. And so before I read the parable today, I'd like to tell you what a, story, a godly play storyteller would say. First, this person would go to the shelf and take off a box and hold it for a moment, looking at it. It would be a special box, a box that has been set aside with certain characters. And then the storyteller will return to the circle, sit down on the floor with the children or whoever is listening and say something like this. This is a box. It looks old, as if it has been around for a while. Parables have been around for a long time. I wonder if there is a parable inside. A parable is a gift. I wonder if we can open this gift. This box has a lid. Sometimes it can seem that parables are closed to us. Sometimes we have to keep coming back until they open. Maybe we should look inside and see if there is a parable. So friends, we are reading a parable today. It has been around for a long time. Let us peer inside and see what is there. Let us listen to the word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing in the marketplace, and he said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you what is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around, and he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call all the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now, when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who, those who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I gave to you. 
Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So who are you? If any of us want to answer this question, there are many places that we can turn. Schools and workplaces seem to continually offer vocational testing. This past week, I started a spiritual direction training program up at Richmond Hill where I took the famous or infamous Myers-Briggs test for approximately the 300th time. You can even fill out the endless quizzes online, like one that promises to tell you which Harry Potter character you are, or what is your secret talent, or even what person you were in your past life, in case you were wondering. Perhaps these quizzes and tests keep popping up, no matter how simplistic they seem, because we yearn to understand ourselves a little bit better. We want to know what part we would play in some grand, meaningful narrative. And perhaps even in our often confusing world, the silliest of labels can help us make a few more decisions. After all, if I read that I was actually a hippie in a past life, then I'll know that ordering the organic soy milk with my latte really is the best choice for my life right now. Sometimes we turn to the Bible with the same set of expectations. We treat parables as fill-in-the-blank worksheets where we write our name on one line and then add up our actions to see whether they're good or bad, right or wrong. So to reference another parable, we hear Jesus describe the seeds and the soil and the sower and we try to imagine, so which soil am I really? Or we hear today's story and try to pin down exactly which laborer am I? Or we can even read the story and decide it's all just an allegory, some nice story about God located in some far-off metaphorical realm with no real bearing on our practical life. Yet the language of a parable defies easy interpretation. It is based in things that we can imagine, and it surprises us with actions we do not anticipate. And just as godly play, the introduction to a parable describes sometimes we have to keep coming back for the stories to open up to us. Amy Jill Levine is a professor of New Testament and Jewish studies at Vanderbilt Divinity School. And what she writes is, what makes the scriptures mysterious or difficult is that they challenge us to look into the hidden aspects of our own values, our own lives. They bring to the surface unasked questions and they reveal the answers we have always known but refused to acknowledge. If we hear a parable and think, I really like that, or worse, if we fail to take up the challenge from it, we are not listening well enough. So how should we approach the parables? There are many ways, and these ways can help us avoid the dangers of making it either purely literal or purely allegorical. One way is that we can reframe them we can try to approach a familiar story from a different perspective. In other ways, we can reread them. How we might have read a story last week or last year will change depending on our life, our circumstances, our relationships. And we can read these stories with other people who might also shine light on different contexts. This is what we do in worship, in church school, and with things like second course. 
So today, let's reread this parable and imagine it from three different perspectives. First, this story is often referred to as the laborers in the vineyard. So let us imagine this story from the perspective of those day laborers who arrived early in the morning. You met the landowner at the marketplace early in the morning. You negotiate a contract that seems fair. You get to work in the fields. It is harvest. The day is hot. And as the work continues, your forehead starts to glisten and your hands start to ache. It is still morning, and there is a long day ahead of you. Soon the landowner who hired you returns. You are surprised to see that he has more workers, workers who toil with a new vigor. You worry. You do not want to fall behind. You don't want to be thrown out. The owner does this again and again, returning with more and more workers. And while the additional hands bring some reprieve, you still have a pit of worry in your stomach. You look around. You start to recalculate. You think about that contract and payment you negotiated. You wonder whether it's in danger. Will this owner try to shortchange you, cheat you? Will he pretend that you aren't carrying your full weight even though you're doing the best you can? You spend hours working and worrying, watching and wondering. It is a long day. Then at the end, you all line up, falling into place alongside the others who came with you to the fields. The landowner and manager start to go down the line, giving wages first to those who arrived last just an hour ago. And you see that they are given a day's wage, a denarius, one coin. Relief floods your bones. If this is what they are getting paid, then you are set. You start to mentally recalculate those wages you expected. You get excited. Then the landowner comes to you, and you receive a denarius, the usual daily wage. That's it. The amount you agreed upon, no more. It sits in your hand, a simple, boring wage. You feel disappointment. You thought you would receive more than this. Again, you have to adjust, recalculate. Protest wells up in you, in between your aching shoulder blades, and out from your lips, you begin to grumble. The landowner responds. You are rebuked. The owner says, I am doing you no wrong. Is this not what we agreed upon? And yes, while this is true, yes, you do acknowledge that this owner is free to be just, you still start to wonder about this management strategy. You start to recalculate how much he has spent. You start to wonder about this peculiar use of money. That's one way to read the story. A second way might be from the perspective of the laborers who are waiting to be hired until the end of day. So let us imagine this is called the laborers in the marketplace. You are waiting in the marketplace because this is where you need to be if you hope to be hired. You do not have steady work. No one seems to really need your skills right now. The day is hot. As the day goes on, you realize you are getting more desperate. You probably would accept any wage. And so you wait. 
Already a number of owners of vineyards came by and hired some workers, but no one pointed to you. Maybe you didn't seem strong. Maybe you didn't put yourself forward enough. Maybe you just aren't good enough. You second-guess yourself all day. Here you stand. Here you wait. As the day goes on, you start to notice one particular landowner who is acting a little odd. This owner keeps returning to the marketplace. Either his fields need much more work than he expected, or he is really bad at figuring out how many workers he needs. When the light grows long and the day's working hours are almost done, the owner approaches you and says, why are you still standing here? And you reply, because no one has hired us. It sounds shameful on your tongue. The day is nearly done, and here you are, unchosen, unneeded. You wince. The owner does not seem to notice, though. He just nods and said, you also go into the vineyard. You are surprised you thought the time for work was over. Yet this owner doesn't seem to follow any typical work schedule. You are hired. You get to the field and you get to work. Your muscles stretch. Your fingers and feet work in a whirl. You have something to do. Someone needs your help. The shame of the marketplace melts away. A short while later, the landowner puts that coin in your hand and you close your fist over a whole day's wage. You hadn't calculated how much you were owed, but you know this is too much. This is unexpected. This is wonderful. A third way of reading this story could be from the perspective of the owner of those vineyards. Let's imagine that we call it the peculiar landowner. You have a harvest, abundant and beautiful. There is work to do, so you set forth to hire laborers. You arrive at the marketplace early, and as is the custom, you negotiate a contract and hire a number of workers. They seem satisfied, so you bring them to your fields and show them what needs to be done. They get to work. You decide that you want more laborers. You go back to the marketplace. You hire again. You bring them back to your vineyards and help them get to work. You decide that you want more laborers, so you go and do this again and again and again. You begin to notice that people are looking at you sideways. You can tell they're starting to wonder about you, questions percolating in their brain. They wonder why you keep coming back to the marketplace, why you don't just hire all the people you need at the beginning and push them to get the work done. You can tell that people are starting to worry that you aren't actually any good at this land management thing. After all, what sort of landowner could you be if you are thinking more about putting people to work than about profits? Your day continues. The vineyards are worked rigorously. Your workers from the morning are clearly tired and dropping behind. The workers from later in the day bring renewed energy. And by the time the sun dips into the horizon, your land abounds with work well done. Your heart is warm with delight. The workers line up before you, and you go down the line, gifting them each the wage of a day's contract. After all, each has contributed to the day's toil. The light tomorrow will bring the chance to work some more. Yet for now, day is done, and the labor is complete. 
Some workers from earlier in the day protest and grumble. They didn't expect that you would be so generous to all. You wonder how they all missed the point, the laborers and the onlookers. You aren't worried about seeming odd. You aren't worried about efficiency. You want to share this work. You want to share this money and this harvest. You want people to talk about you, to continue to spread the news about your peculiar and abundant generosity. There is much work to do, and you are eager to invite more people to do it. So that is the third way of reading this parable. And who are you? We listen to this story from these different perspectives because it reminds us that parables are not a worksheet or checklist. And even responding to the question, who am I, is not a progress report or a quiz in the eyes of God. Indeed, whatever we answer today might be different from what we would have said yesterday and different from what we will say again tomorrow. We might think that we are always the worker there from the very beginning, or always the latecomer being blamed for things they cannot handle. We might think we are never the owner, but this simply isn't true. All of our lives have a myriad of stories that are unfolding. Some days we will be like the disappointed laborers who resent the generosity that is poured out to all. Some days we will feel like the desperate laborers who continue to wait at the marketplace, doubting their self-worth in each hour. And some days we will be the privileged landowner who has much to give and so continues to give it again and again, offering compassion and generosity and justice despite what society says. The beauty of God's story, of our creator's story, is that we are all characters within it, all with a variety of roles to play. The beauty of God's story is that we are all receiving a grace that is more peculiar and abundant than what we expected or imagined. Whether we come to this story with desperation or with privilege, with wants or with resources, God will use what we have for the harvest of the kingdom. This story is still being told through your life, through mine, is still being told through the work of our hands and the needs of the fields around us. So who are we? Our world will give us many labels. We will be evaluated by many standards. Yet there is one response to this age-old question which will not change. We are God's hands and feet, alive and needed for service in the world. We are God's own creatures, playing a part in the unfolding story of compassion and salvation. And we are people who venture to call themselves Christians, Christians who try to embody a story of good news in a world that so desperately needs it. None of us bring forth the harvest on our own, As Angel Levine continues to write, the point is not that those who have get more, but that those who have not get enough. Jesus is not a Marxist, but an idealist and a pragmatist. Each group needs the other. The worker needs the money and the owner needs the labor. In this story, we learn what it means to act as God acts, with generosity to all.
Friends, sometimes we are the landowner and sometimes we are the laborer. Sometimes we are filled with bountiful resources and sometimes with aching needs. Sometimes we know our role in life, in this church, in this community, and sometimes we need to return to our creator, to the scriptures and to each other and ask again. This is the peculiar and abundant promise of God. There is work to do, and no matter who we are or where we are from, we are being asked to join in it. God wants to use us. God wants to use all of us for the harvest of God's kingdom. This parable is a gift, as we teach our children each, each Sunday. Like grace is a gift like our role in the story of the kingdom of heaven, is a gift. So friends, let us not hesitate. Let us take this unexpected, wonderful, bountiful promise and let us get to work. And let us pray. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we know that we are one, drawn together in mission, Lord. By the love of our creator, we all have a variety of roles to play. And by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we all have been saved for service. Help us to discern who you need us to be in the world today, tomorrow, and always. In your name we pray. Amen.